You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds, here with you once again to discuss Solari Gentles, The Woman in the Library. We are talking up to chapter 24 today, and Herds, we're joined by a special mm. guest. We are. We've got Danny V here from Words and Nerds. If you've been following us around the internet elsewhere, you'll have known that we are big fans of Danny V's Words and Nerds, and it's various innumerable, in fact, spin-offs that she's managed to make of it. Danny, it's so good to have you here. Welcome to Death of the Reader. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm excited. All of the above. I'm usually in control you of the be. action. Now I'm not. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> what is going to happen to me tonight? Look, we're not going to crucify you too hard, but there, there will be questions. There will be answers. Yeah, so. I suppose before we get in too deep, for anyone who isn't familiar, can you give us the briefest possible rundown of words and nerds? I sure can. Uh, we have real conversations about books, about where books come from, about where they come from inside of yourself, and we just have a great time and we try and hit on the fun and the vulnerable. And like you said, many spin-offs because all the content should not be created by me because who wants to hear my voice all the time? I mean, there's a few people, Danny. You do manage to bring a great <laughs> level of enthusiasm to the various <laughs> discussions you have. But let's crack on. The Woman in the Library up to Chapter 24 is... Such a roller coaster because, you know, often there's a point in a murder mystery, I think, where you get to it and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I think I know what's going on. Things have clicked. But Solari managed to drag about eight of those moments for me through this set of chapters. <laughs> and oh my God, it's fantastic. It's so clever. It reminded me of Stuart Turton's The yes. Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, mm-hmm. did it not? Just gave me those vibes. It, it definitely is absolutely neck deep in that same school of metafiction and i I think one of the most engaging things that changes over this stretch of chapters is the transition that we see leo go on leo's in here basically like oh can i be the accomplice can i please also be the murderer in the story by the end it's fantastic it's I just I was creeped out by Leo from the very first page Mm, i just knew there was something (laughs) off about him I mean, we've all known this person, right? It says, I might have bought myself another copy just so I could brag to the bookseller that I knew the author. I think she was impressed. There was a definite hint of admiration in the way she asked, do you need a bag? Yeah, it's terrible. He's truly a miserable character. My my favourite line, like, now that we're this front of the novel, is when he says, oh, I've, you know, I've been asking around about ways to you know, how the library is set up and all this, you know, all the different vents and things. And I've been looking for a place to hide your body, (laughs) (laughs) which is a truly awful line. Now that we know that he wants to, he he fantasizes about sticking, sticking things up people's nostrils and murdering them. It's, it's awful. What I thought was really interesting about the book is that it does sort of lend itself a little bit to the Agatha Christie, like in the library, the four suspects, anyone could, you know, be holding the candlestick over the body but then it just goes, like we were saying, into this just just strange, different plane, you know. So it almost it, it knows the tropes, it knows the stereotypes of the, of the genre, and then it just flips it inside out. And that's what is still blowing my mind after reading this. Like, I'm still thinking about it. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a quote in here from Jack Heath where he said yeah. something to the effect of, I, I lay awake thinking about it every night until I finished it. And having finished this book, I need to tell you all, <laughs> Jack Heath is lying. He's still it thinking is. about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still thinking about it. I'm actually thinking about the genius of it yeah. as well. I don't think I'd ever be brave enough to write a book like this, but Solari, as we know, she's amazing. She's just nailed it. Basically done it twice. Yeah. I like to try and guess 
You know, because I think I'm very smart at crime. Oh, you're in the right uh-huh. house. This is the Guessing Murder <laughs> Mysteries show. It's true. <laughs> this is the smartest show on Tour CR. The smartest <laughs> crime-related show, I think. I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Just take it. There's no one here to argue. The smartest around the world crime re- crime fiction show uh, called Death yeah. of the Reader. Done. No competition, of course. Of course. Yeah, no competition. But I, I remember going through every single character and going, oh, no, it's this 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 person. Oh, no, actually, mm. it might. So I actually had no idea. I think <laughs> I think that's one thing that Solari does, like, surprisingly effectively. In the first stretch of chapters, like, you know, 1 to 12, it, it feels conventional and it feels like we're meandering away from that mystery. And I, w- I wasn't even really sure if it was, like, murder mystery fodder. It was definitely, like, a mystery novel but it didn't feel solvable. But then as we get into this stretch of chapters, one thing that I absolutely loved is the way that it becomes so apparent that everyone has a motive and nobody didn't have means, I think is probably the most succinct way of putting it. Kane is connected to Boo and Wit has his mother. At this point in the novel, I was definitely trying to suspect someone between Kane and and Wit. Those were like Mm. my focus. But Marigold... You could almost expect her as like a surprise, like, oh, yeah. you know, she didn't seem like she was connected with anything, but actually the like dead ballerina on her back is actually the clue to the, the whole mystery. It's <laughs> the dead look, ballerina. That was the dead so ballerina. Funny. Did you so not? Funny. Look, oh. they talk about that. She could be sleeping. She yeah. had to be relaxing. Yeah. Oh. No, she's a dead ballerina. That's, that's the twist, right? <laughs> we understand that she was dead the whole time, just like her dreams of being a ballerina. And that's it. That's how Marigold's the killer. The, the other thing in terms of suspecting everyone that we get into that I absolutely love, of course, is that this, this is the point in the book where Hannah finally realizes that perhaps Leo is actually killing the people whose photos of corpses she, he's been <laughs> sending to her. Gee, oh, what God. a surprise. What a surprise. What a, what a <laughs> twist. Oh, my goodness. I, I had to put, put the book down and walk around the room when the FBI note showed up. I was like, how long is this going to go on for? And then I turn the page and there's the big FBI logo. And I'm like, oh. Solari's done it again. (laughs) It was Mm. very clever. And I actually think, I feel like Kane was put at the forefront of being the main suspect. And that's when I sort of thought, oh, he's probably the least likely now (laughs) to have done it. And then I'm like, wait, no, is that a strategy that she's put in? So, yeah, it was very clever. Well, that's the thing. Kane is the character that that Leo kind of suspects. Of course, by the time we get to chapter 18, we're in a bit of a rhythm. We've, we understand by this point, we're comfortable with the idea of there being an email at the end of every chapter. So when it turns out there's not one, but two or three, like, because we have the, the FBI and the publisher and like all these other emails, anything is possible in that like extra space there. Yeah. And I thought because you never heard Hannah's voice, that's what made me think, well, what's going on here? Because we only get what is being sent to her. We don't get what's outgoing. And I thought that was really interesting as well. If she was just emailing the blank chapters, which would definitely be an option, and he was just responding, then it lends an aura of, you know, oh, maybe Leo's like come onto these chapters without her permission. Maybe this is like Leo, you know, he's hacked her computer and now he's trying to get something out of her. That's what I thought. He's inserting himself into the computer, no, into the story. (laughs) But it becomes very clear that there is actually this discussion that she is actually emailing back. Unless, and I did think that, and then I thought, well, hang on, Leo's a little bit unhinged. Maybe it's discussions that he's thinking that's taken place. Yeah, I, I, I think I would. I was on board with that right up until he started complaining about her not putting the pandemic in the text. Yeah, fair enough. Because then it was like, 
it felt most like there was a response there, which is also so interesting because I think we see so much of Leo in the way that he like celebrates the pandemic as a means to cause chaos. Yeah. (laughs) He's inspired. He's a true artist, isn't he? He's inspired by the mass. (laughs) He's inspired by the great big crowds from the protests. He's inspired by the, the, the tests that you take to see if you got COVID, you know, (laughs) he takes every little element of the pandemic and says, "Hmm, I wonder how I could turn this into horrible violence. And it's really something we should all aspire to. Is it? To be so inspired right, by everyday events. I'll be events. back in a second. I'm just going to go lock my front door real quick. Is that the tagline for this episode? <laughs> Maybe it should be. I think that when she puts him in a, her book, initially it's like kind of the, hey, look, I put you in my book. Isn't that cute? But as the story goes on, I, I feel like it almost becomes a way to placate him to be like, yeah, I'm still putting you in my book. So like, don't be quite so scary. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did love the note after the discussion with the FBI when Leo was like, "Oh, I'm so I'm so glad, for, uh, Hannah, that you recovered from that computer crash. It's great to be That's speaking it. with you again." Like she's told him a cover story. It's ridiculous because he instantly calls out everything she said wrong. He's like, "Yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't like up- upload to a cloud. Maybe you should really be doing that." And like, <laughs> it's unclear if he's just. He, he, it's one of those characters where you're like. Is he that dumb? Does he just not realize that she's trying to avoid no, him? No, he knows. Or- <laughs> Does he know? We don't know for sure. He's tapped her house and he's got cam- secret cameras in her walls. Like he's full psycho. I'd be very impressed how he managed to do that from the far side of the planet. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Several continents away. Like, yeah. You never know. I mean, you never know. Do. He's got contacts. Drone technology is incredible these days. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. What's that thing buzzing above my head? <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing. Anyway, Ignore we it. should wrap this part of the discussion here. We'll be back with Solari herself in just a moment to talk a little bit about a few of these themes. And then after that, Herds, it's mystery time. Oh, I'm scared. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing up to and including chapter 24 of Solari Gentles, The Woman in the Library. We'll be back with more in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with you. We are talking Woman in the Library by Solari Gentle and making her grand return to the two SER studios, the title sponsor of our most recommended novel award each year, as well as the winner of its 2021 iteration, is Solari Gentle herself. It is so good to have you back. Welcome to Death of the Reader. I'm shaking in my boots waiting. <laughs> I hope you're ready to be surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for the assault. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> here we go. So... Comparing Crossing the Lines to Woman in the Library, your two metafictional storm systems, the thing that struck me most was what I'd call the definition between the two worlds. In Crossing the Lines, I felt like Maddie and Ned's relationship as authors was easy to define, if complicated, but in Woman in the Library, the relationship between our metafictional writer Hannah and her near-self-insert character Freddie are at times inexplicable. Where in the process did you decide that this novel somehow could and should be more complicated than Crossing the Lines? <laughs> I I didn't do that intentionally. Um, <laughs> so I didn't realise it was. I thought it was a much more straightforward novel than Crossing the Lines. Um, in fact, that's how I've been plugging it. So this is a surprise to me. It, it's, it, I mean, it's really fantastic because I think in some ways it is, it's a lot easier to read uh, than Crossing the Lines because of how, you know, engaged with the text Crossing the Lines forces you to be, which is one of the things I enjoyed most about it. But 
the weird thing is, is it's not necessarily that it's more complicated as a reader, but it's much more complicated for me to explain to other people how the book works. Like in Crossing the Lines, I can just say there are two writers, they're writing each other and their worlds overlap. And I'm like, done, pitch finished. Whereas in this, I'm like, well, there's kind of one writer writing another and there's like someone writing emails to her and it's and not really- there's a woman on the bus. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, like, it was my ambition to defy the elevator pitch. Yeah. So <laughs> this is one of those novels. But- Mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think um, uh, can I can I tell you where the idea for this novel came oh, from? Absolutely. That might that might explain a bit. So, I was writing another book set in Boston, uh, in in America, and because I I wasn't there and I've never been to Boston, I have a friend who's an American writer who I was corresponding with at the time, and and Larry is a much better researcher than I am. <laughs> and then one day. Um, a murder. There was a murder a couple of blocks from where he was staying. And so he decided that it would be handy for me to know what a crime scene looks like in America. Things like, you know, police cordons and all the other bits and pieces. So he sent me footage of the murder scene. And I received this file in Australia and I opened it. And my husband happened to be standing behind me at the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> This is great. And he said to me, gee, I hope Larry's not killing people so he can do your research. Oh, <laughs> book made right there. Oh, my goodness. And, and, and I promise he wasn't. He wasn't killing people. There were no people killed in the on, making of this book. Know. As far as I know. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's alibied. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but as it turns out, I, I thought at that time it was a wonderful idea uh, mm. for a novel. And the challenge at that time was to not start writing it immediately and finish the book I was writing. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that I wanted to spring off there is you've written two versions of Boston, essentially, one in A Testament of Character and one in Woman in the Library. How does it compare writing those two different eras of the same city? It was a natural progression because I wrote the earlier one first. Mm. Uh, So I wrote Boston in the 1930s first. So when I was standing in Boston today, I knew the history of the city. So I, I felt a little bit more anchored in Boston. Um, and, you know, bearing in mind, I still haven't been to Boston. I'm hoping to remedy that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of, I, I'm having to work with uh, my imagination just to get a feel for the city. And of course, whatever Larry uh, sent me in terms of <laughs> <laughs> that, research. That, that will never mean the same thing, that sentence ever again, now that we have the full context there. Now, the woman in the library, the title, harkens back to Agatha Christie's Body in the Library, which is famously uh, an attempt by Christie to exercise metafiction from library-related mysteries. Was Woman in the Library a direct challenge to that idea? So I haven't read The Body in the you Library. You haven't read The Body? Uh, I've re- read, a, read a lot of Christie, but that's one I have you not read. This, you? you knew this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now I'll have to go and read it. The Woman in the Library is not what I called it. Oh! Oh! <laughs> I, just want, I just want to say for the record, I put this, I put this question in specifically because I knew this and I wanted to call out the publishers again. <laughs> What was the original title, Larry? The uh, uh, original title when I was writing the manuscript was Letters from Larry. Oh. But, of course, 
Larry is a human being, so I didn't want to call him a psychopath <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in, you know, to the world. So it became Letters from Leo. I was uh, going to say, it made more sense to be Letters from Leo, considering the character that does write letters in the yes. novel. The American publishers. Um, now, the way they do things is quite different. They focus Shanghai group. secrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> oh, dear. But, but, they, but they focus group. Yeah. Um, so they get a they get a whole stack of titles. So this title came out on top after several focus groups uh, and was selected from a hundred different possible titles wow. for this book. I mean, it's impressive the amount of effort they go to yeah. to change yeah. your title. It is, and, and look, you know, <laughs> I, I I kind of look at titles the same way I look at covers. They're just clothes. I'm in charge of the what's inside. Um, and as long as they don't mess too much with what's inside, I'm, I'm happy yeah. to. In, in some ways, you've cleverly made the novel immune to criticism uh, since the premise of the story is that we're reading a draft, as we mm. mentioned, and seeing an early reader's critique as we go. Are your drafts as neat as Hannah's? Uh, yes. Oh, really? Yeah, that, that was the draft, the, the, the book. I, I tend to be close <laughs> to one draft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I tend to be one draft and then it goes to sort of, line or proof yeah. edit, uh, but very rarely does anything structural change. Mm. And, and that just that's just the way I write. It's not, not particularly clever. It's just that I'm a, I was a lawyer, so part of the apprenticeship of being a lawyer is that they teach you to choose your words precisely mm. the first time and you only say exactly what you mean. Some would say I'm just a lazy writer, I can't be bothered rewriting. <laughs> <laughs> Here, this is it. I'm done. I'm mm -hmm. finished. Uh, but generally, you know, I press send on a manuscript at the day I finish writing it. Mm. Honestly, I, I wish I had that confidence to just hit send. You have no idea how many emails I send where I'm like, let me just go over it one more time. Wait, one more time. No, I can't send yet. Oops, I've accidentally hit send. Was that the right email? Oh, no. I've, I'm, like I've that with, I'm like that with Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I'm terrified of Twitter. <laughs> you go, oh, is... my God, what if I make a spelling mistake? Oh, what if I left out the word? Twitter is a horrifying place. Now... <laughs> Because of the draft nature of, of your writing and of Freddie's world, we kind of we, we take a long time to learn a lot of things about the the cast, you know, the core cast, of most of the, the four main characters of this world. Um, and it's a pretty small cast compared to many classic mysteries. Lord knows I love to complain about extravagant uh, <laughs> casts. <laughs> anyway, one moment early on that I actually really enjoyed was Marigold kind of startling Freddie with her knowledge of, of finance, you know, combined with her psychology uh, interest. Now, how much did these characters surprise you over the course of writing them? Oh, completely. To me, it feels very much like they just reveal bits of themselves. Mm. I didn't ever have any notion of who Marigold was except that I saw that she was tattooed. And then it just evolved. It just peeled away with mm. each one. And it feels very much like that with the writing, that with each paragraph, with each chapter, you're peeling away and unearthing more um, kind of think, and I know that the book is full of analogies about how people write, but I kind of think my writing is a bit like sculpting. The story's there. I just have to dig it out of the mm. clay. Solari Gentle there talking about the woman in the library. We treated ourselves to close to an hour of Solari's time when she was in Sydney for the Sydney Writers Festival. And there will definitely be more of that discussion to come both next week and up on the podcast. So get subscribed to Death of the Readers podcast if you aren't already. And of course, a huge thank you to the team at Ultimo Press for helping us arrange that interview and providing us with the books. We're going to jump back on over with Danny V in just a second. Stick around. You're on to SER 107.3.
You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds, here with Danny V, continuing our discussion of Solari Gentles, The Woman in the Library, up to and including chapters 24, and uh, Herds. Flex. You're in the hot seat this I week. Am. Danny Hi. is also here to bring you along yeah. for, the, for, the, for the mystery ride here. And I suppose, Herds, there are a number of questions that you need to answer about this part of the story. Do uh, I? Yeah. Obviously. Okay, good. I mean, I've already touched on one of Look, them. Look, I was told that Danny would be driving the bus this week, but that's okay. I am underneath the bus holding it up. Me so passenger. Me passenger. I don't think, well, then who's driving the bus? Is this the real bus uh, or the metaphorical bus? This is the bus from the movie Speed. Yes. Oh. <laughs> awesome. So, the, theories and questions. Theories. Okay, so here's the thing. I know that last week I said some nonsense about... Uh, was it Wit is trying to like make Kane be responsible for some murder he committed a long time yeah. ago and it was his dad or whatever? And like Carolyn isn't even really dead. Look, that's a silly theory. I'll admit all of that was a nonsense because uh, the, the actual truth of the matter is, as Danny has cleverly figured out, of course, uh, I would assume, <laughs> is that uh, Kane is in fact the murderer. Of Carolyn. Of Carolyn you know Palfrey? why that is? Yes, exactly. You know why that is? Because the voice was recorded by a clever technological device, which needs no explanation. It was ah. a phone, of course. But uh, afterwards, Kane snuck in and killed Carolyn. And you know why I believe that to be, to be the case? It is because Leo is, in fact, the writer of this story, not Hannah. Uh... Because these emails that we're seeing here is all a fabrication by Leo. Uh, to make it seem as though he's like going back and forth with this famous writer. But actually, as was outlined in the early parts of the story, Leo is writing his own novel. And in actuality, that's what we're reading. Right. Not actually reading Hannah's text at all. Do you think then that Leo is writing based on drafts that he is being sent Oh, yes. Okay. So, yes, so, so this, is, exactly this is Leo so committing Hannah plagiarism. Is, plagiarism. Yes. Hannah is sending texts and leo is stealing them plagiarizing them writing his own stories and so it seems as though the commentary that we're getting from leo about you should change this and that is for oh. hannah's writing but in actuality but we never see her himself. writing we never see her writing at all she's actually a completely absent character that is the twist okay. and in <laughs> fact that is why it is going to become more blatant and more obvious by the end of this story that leo is the one writing this whole thing and Kane is going to murder everybody. It's I like this. I like this. Sad. I guess yeah. the, the question that I have is why do you think Kane is framing himself <laughs> by having the screams play out of his old phone? It's an unusual uh, technique the, to frame yourself. It is. Yeah, it they, is, keep, isn't it? they keep calling Freddy, and the scream that she heard in the library starts playing out of her phone and then n- nothing happens. But maybe it was a basic instinct move. I don't know if you guys are too young for this, but remember how <laughs> she not. wrote the book about definitely not wrote the book about murdering someone so she was kind of off the hook. So yeah. maybe it was a sort of a basic instinct moment where it's framing himself to then yeah. get off. It's true. I mean Kane Kane does have a bestseller that allegedly tells his own life story in which he commits crime. <laughs> which is just like what Leo's doing. Oh of course hurts. <laughs> You've figured it out. Hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> Thank you. I can't believe I've <laughs> so solved it this, so efficiently. If you haven't read this yet, yeah, you're going to be very confused because I had a theory of my own. Uh-huh. Okay. It was a bit Hannibal Lecter, right? So okay. I, had, I had this feeling that Leo wasn't receiving sort of correspondence from her, that he somehow had her locked up in oh, his basement. Misery. And it's making misery. her, and, yeah, right? Misery. It's misery meets <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. 
And he was making her write these chapters because he was this, you know, insane stalker fan. And that's why I thought we never heard from her because she was incapable of answering and he had created this delusion that they were friends <laughs> when really yeah, they I mean, were not. There, there is a suggestion that before the pandemic hits that Hannah was going to go visit Boston and maybe that visit did actually happen. That's right. And the reason mm. that she's sequestered away and you know nobody's heard from her in a while is she never came back and maybe Leo's why. Well, that was my big question. That was my and still it's my big question throughout the novel was where is Hannah? Where is Hannah? We're hearing her voice through the writing assuming it's hers and not Leo's, but where is she? That's why I had this sort of idea that she was <laughs> hidden in the basement and being forced to write. That makes sense to me. What what would you say to the suggestion, though, that perhaps Hannah is meant to be us, that, like, through looking at the drafts of this story and seeing the feedback, that we're actually meant to kind of project our own responses to Leo? Like, and, you are know, you saying that we're trapped in a basement w- with Leo? Maybe is that I what am. You're saying? Is that what's happening? With Can Hannibal you know? Lecter, Sharon with, Stone, yeah. and Misery. <laughs> and the whole cast of the movie Misery. <laughs> Oh dear, that's a horrifying thought. I also just have something like somewhat mystery related that I I don't know if anyone else picked up on, but Uh pizza in this story, like I understand pizza is a popular food. Pretty good. And the last time we covered a Solari Gentle novel, we also ran into a coincidental device, that being the number three, that kept showing up before everything important happened. So right. And it, it seems that pizza keeps showing up right before we start having personal discussions pizza motif yeah do you think someone at the local pizza joint in freddy's world is like lacing the pizza with some truth serum that gets them all talking about their relationships or is is that a reach is that is that a reach i like to think so yes but don't you think (laughs) that sitting over (laughs) but don't you think sitting over pizza with your friends maybe you've got a beer that's the time where you the confession starts so i think it's just a prop. I mean, I, I think it's a prop as well. It like it makes sense, but it's also the kind of thing that, you know, I'm 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 watching, I'm scared of the whole way through until the end of the story. And then the book ends and I'm like and I look to the pizza box to my right and I go, Oh no, it was me all along. Oh, it was you. Okay, that, that makes more sense. I was going to say, the pizza box can't have a knife. It doesn't have hands, I think. Did you just say that makes sense? I don't think any of our theories have made sense. What are you talking about? They're all perfectly valid theories. This is a metafiction novel. That's Damn, great. You should know. Was, any theory is valid. Good, because I was a bit wary about admitting my basement theory. There's every chance that we get to the end of this novel, Danny, and you're not disproven. And then I have to decide whether or not you still get the points for a theory that isn't confirmed but is still possible. <laughs> it's one of the great struggles of metafiction and why, like, I think metafiction and murder mystery continue being just such a natural pairing. Mm. And pizza. And pizza. <laughs> I guess, Herds, before we wrap up this segment of the discussion, I do, I do have to ask you, though, You've got to pick one of your theories, uh, oh. th- this or last week's, to, to to lock in before we go to the end and you have your world turned upside down. How how do you decide between the Kane culprit theory of him staging the murder and the wit culprit theory of him trying to get Kane to commit crime by committing crime that's connected to Kane's past crime that's connected to him being okay, in prison. I'm gonna stop you there. I'm gonna to stop you. That's, that's a lot connected. of connections. <laughs> that sounds like just the right number of connections for a metafiction novel. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, both of my theories have centered around one central point of the narrative, and that is Leo, as in the Leo that is maybe talking to Hannah. Because as far as I'm concerned, the emails, like when I'm reading metafiction, the highest level of meta is the source of truth. 
So whether that is because you should take it wholesale or because Leo is a liar or incompetent or racist or evil or I could go on. <laughs> um, <laughs> whichever, whichever one of those statements you want to take is yeah. being correct. I think it has to revol- revolve around my interpretation of the character. And I refuse to believe that he's competent enough to ride the fiction that I am currently reading. So I'm going to have to go with uh, the the wit is orchestrating a thing and Carolyn ain't even dead, baby. That's the theory. Carolyn ain't with that. even dead. It's a, even bit, dead. it's a bit implausible considering that no. the FBI is on the case. It was on the news. Look. Uh, the Boston Police <laughs> Department was working on the case. There are allegedly, like, surveillance people no. that the Boston PD has watching other people's Look, houses. Because you haven't even answered her why there are photos of people's doors being sent to themselves. What, Ugh, what, what is that? That is creepy as. Probably because Carolyn's running around taking pictures of people's doors and was like, who could have done it? All your <laughs> friends were in the room when that picture was taken, but it was Carolyn the whole time. Uh, Don't you early. reckon it's those those things that are really creepy? Like the picture of your front door, like that is creepier, probably the creepiest thing you could be sent. <laughs> I love, I mean, one of my favourite lines in the early book is when uh, is when Freddy's like, oh yeah, no, I I got a picture of my own door and I'm really scared. Uh, and and there was also a photo of Wit's door and Marigold says for some reason, oh yeah, I was walking past Wit's the other other day, and it's like Marigold, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just had my are phone out. Is this a confession? Yeah. <laughs> it's those little lines, isn't it? That's I know. It's like, I'm here for your emotional support, Marigold. I may have been the culprit, Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to know this. <laughs> Good Lord. Marigold, best character. Alrighty. Well, Danny, Herds, that's it for this week's discussion. Next week on the show, we are back with all the way to the end of this book, all of the spoilers, all of the answers, I hope. I hope there are answers. I mean, you should know. You have read the book. I, I hope that you're not about to say there are no answers and I'll be ruined. Listen, but- dude, whatever whatever comes out of the elevator is a mystery to me. I'm looking forward to seeing what's... What's in the elevator? Here we go. 100% basement. Alrighty. This is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3. We are discussing Slara Gentles, the woman in the library. We'll be back with more of that next week. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you then. 